When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wassner Flynn, co-host of this podcast. What am I supposed sorry? <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Actually, you okay. know what? Because it's a little awkward right now because we are in transition. We are changing the name of this podcast. One big change that we're doing in 2023. We're going to change this podcast. It used to be called AMR Trains or Another Mother Runner Trains. And now we're actually going to change it to Many Happy Miles. Why are we making this change? We'll talk about it quite a bit, but we're changing it to many happy miles because we want to spread the joy beyond just running and say a big yay high five for any type of forward movement. You guys, if you've been around here long enough, you know that I am all about just moving forward. Doesn't matter how you do it. Let's just keep moving forward. So whether we're going to talk about epic hikes or a century ride or a metric century ride or a 25 mile ride or your first brisk walk after a setback. We're here to celebrate it all and inspire you to move with joy. On many happy miles podcasts, we'll share your stories and glean advice from experts on all sorts of subjects encompassing healthy and most importantly, happy living. So join us as we move forward into the new year and beyond one happy mile at a time. I love it. Are you excited, Sarah? I'm really excited for like more, a little bit more diverse subject matter. Oh, yes. I feel like we can bring so many fun guests on and we love our runners, but you know, there's a lot of women and men out there who do amazing things, who aren't just runners, who are doing, like we mentioned, bike rides and hikes and just things that are active and exciting that don't just encompass running. So we're broadening our horizons here. We are, we are. And I, you know, obviously this mirrors a little bit the journey that I've been on with stopping running and and finding some new adventures for myself. And I just find talking to people that not everyone's going to stop running. I hope that you don't have to stop running unless it's your choice to do that, right? But there are so many other things that you can do that get close to what running feels like and mimic the enjoyment of running and that like you set a goal and you train consistently and you have that finish line feeling. And I just want to kind of put that out in the world. It's more of that out in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So new year, new ish podcast, as we said, um, <laughs> new ish. Yeah. No, all things are, you know, bright and fresh. And so why not change the scope a little bit? So we'll, we're still here. We're still the same, but our guests will be expanding. We should say. Exactly. But the funny thing is, is that on this podcast, on this very new rebranded podcast, we are going to have two runners today, which is just yeah. A little bit of how it shook out just with timing of interviews and um, being the end of the year. But these are both really cool stories and running stories, but we will definitely be expanding other subjects as we move forward. Yeah. Super excited for that. All right. So to kick things off in a big way in this new year, we're bringing on guests who really took their accomplishments above and beyond in 2022. This is going to be a two-part podcast. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to have two runners today and then two other athletes in two weeks. That's a lot of twos. (laughs) 
All right. So the women we're going to chat with went after and conquered epic goals this year, or actually last year. And we hope their stories will inspire you to bust past your fears and go after your own epic adventures in 2023. Our first guest is Julie Patno, a good friend of the AMR community. Julie is a mother runner from Utah who has twin girls that just turned 18 and stepdaughters who are 23 and 17. In August, Julie completed the Trans Rockies Run, a multi-day point-to-point trail race running from Buena Vista to Beaver Creek, Colorado, covering 120 miles. So six days of hiking, running, and sleeping in a tent is quite the accomplishment. And Julie, who told us that she's drawn to epic adventures, is going to share more about her experience as well as what it takes to go after such a big goal. So hello, Julie. Hello. So excited to have you on to talk about this. So Julie, before we get into your adventure, give us a little bit of background on you as a runner. When did you start running and were you an experienced trail runner before you took on the Trans Rockies? Sure. So I started running probably about 10 years ago, just needed another outlet for stress. And I started just with doing like 5Ks. And from there, I built to a half marathon. And once I did a half marathon, I thought, huh, maybe I'll do a marathon. I didn't really get into running trails until about like four years into my running journey. And it was actually after the Spokane retreat. I just loved the experience of running on the trails there. Yeah. I have amazing trails here in Utah. So it just kind of grew from there. Love it. Love it. So you said you love an epic adventure, but Trans Rockies is above and beyond. So tell us exactly (laughs) what it is, how it first landed on your radar and what got you to sign up for it. Yeah. Well, I've, once I got bitten by the trail bug and then like the ever um, curious idea of well, what more could I do? I started getting into ultras and I've done, you know, 50 Ks and a 50 miler and I did a 100 miler. And in that time, I also was looking at what more is out there, what other sort of adventures and the trans Rockies just came across for me. And I thought it looked really rather interesting (laughs) <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit, Julie. So talk us through like, because I know that there's like different variations. There's like three days, five days, and maybe that's wrong, you know, team, solo, kind of just talk a little bit about the structure of it. Right. So I think when Trans Rockies originally started, it was a team event. So, you know, for several years, you had to do it as a team. It's now evolved where you don't have to do it as a team. You can do it as a single member. Usually doing it as a team does require you to stick together. So that's kind of a a fun adventure in itself. They have a three-day where it's 60 miles, and then they have the six-day, which is 120 miles. And I kind of figured if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So Mm -hmm. I opted for the six days. And you were with a team originally, correct? I was. I had uh, three other Bammer friends who were going to do it as well. And we had all been planning this for a couple of years. Uh, We had COVID there in the middle that kind of delayed things. And sadly, as the months got closer to the race, the other three friends, they had injuries come up, so they were unable to do it. So when your friends got injured and you were the last one standing, so to speak, how did you find it in you to follow through with this arduous task of 120 miles over six days? 
Oh, that's a great question because part of the adventure was doing it with the three friends and all of us getting there to the start line together. And a few weeks before I had considered deferring to the next year. And I, you know, I'm lucky I was able to talk to my coach and, and I work with coach Christy, who's the ultra coach as well. Mm-hmm. And I work with her individually and she just said, you know, you're ready, you're healthy, you're ready to go. You've trained, you put in the time and you never know what a, a year can bring. And so I didn't want to kind of waste my opportunity that my body was ready to go. So I opted to just go solo. Wow. So Julie, you had said you had done a hundred miles before. I assume those are solo efforts. So this wasn't something that you had never approached, which was this epic adventure on your own, was it? No, that's correct. Although with the 100 milers, I definitely had a crew. So even that, and now comparing it to Trans Rockies, the crew and having you know, um, just that interaction, even small blips makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of those harder spots, tough times. I, I can't imagine it was all roses and, and rainbows the entire time you were out there. <laughs> were there some moments that you were just kind of like, oh, what did I do? What did I sign up for? And if so, how did you get through those rough patches? Oh, yeah. So to be honest with you, on day three, if I would have had cell service, I would have called my husband and been like, please come get me because it was just so much. I mean, I'd already done, you know, 60 miles and that's like the, I was looking at my fourth day of camping and those were the logistics I had not really mentally prepared for. I mean, I've been camping before, right? But the, what comes with that, I was not prepared for, but where we were at, we had no cell service. I mean, granted, if I would have actually gotten a hold of my husband, he would have been like, no, I'll see you when you're done. You know, but after the third day, that was probably the hardest, just knowing I still had three more days to go. Mm -hmm. And are you carrying a pack with a tent in it? Is that how you're getting around? So what they do is they, Trans Rockies will set up, they have their tents. So they set up the tents and at the very beginning, you are given like a gigantic duffel bag. I mean, I could get into the duffel bag Mm -hmm. and in that is where you have to pack everything that you're going to need for the six days. Now, granted, they provide food. So they would do breakfast and dinner, but if there's specific fuel you needed, also your clothes. And even with that, there was no guarantee on what the weather was going to be like. So you did need a little bit of variety. And then of course, all of your stuff like for sleeping or lounging and then they did have shower trucks. So you would have your shower stuff as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Anything that you would need for a six-day camping trip is pretty much what you had to put in this duffel. And we would be responsible for like picking up our duffel every day and then finding a tent, setting up our little tent area. And then the next morning before you would get ready to race, you would pack everything back up and put it back in the duffel and then take the duffel back. It was those logistics that I was not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And even when you had your little spots at night, you had still had no cell service. So it wasn't like you could get on your phone and, and, and talk to your husband at that point. You're totally 
Right. Right. Yes. And, and again, I guess I don't realize how connected we all really are now virtually and what a gift that really is until it's taken away. So there were a good three days where there was no cell service. So, you know, there was no like texting or chatting with friends or family or anything. And that was, again, another thing that I wasn't quite prepared for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I imagine it gets a little lonely or you kind of get annoyed by your own self sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, way too much alone time with myself because uh I've already been on the trails with myself for, you know, like three to six hours. What do I need like all night long too. And now granted, like you meet people there at Trans Rockies and everyone who's there is amazing, but you know, it's different to be disconnected from like your people. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. I was just going to ask what the camaraderie was like. I mean, because every, but, but it seems like it's a big enough race that you might not, you know, find us someone who to kind of hook up with like did you talk to people on the trails I mean obviously I think yeah. you did but tell us yeah, a little so bit about you did. that and you know generally I would see the same people every day on the trails right because I started with the early crew and you get a little bit extra time just because I wanted to make sure I met the time frame and so you would start with those sure. folks and get to know them but there was about 400 people at the race. So it's a large enough group. I will say the trans Rockies, they definitely have a group that, you know, you have individuals who will do the race one year and then the next year they go to volunteer and then they run it the next year. Cause if you oh, volunteer, cool. then you get a free entry, which is quite significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely a kind of a following of the trans Rockies of folks who, who do that, but you know, everyone is there and it's just, it is, fun. We're all there to have fun and enjoy the trails together. And what about, talk a little bit about the food, because I, I saw, I remember seeing like pictures of you, like eating like yes. <laughs> a burger on like a plastic plate. And I'm like, okay, that's not the kind of like, I mean, yes, a hamburger. Yes. After a trail run or whatever, but like, right. Yeah. Like how did, how did that go down? Right. So, um, they supplied breakfast and dinner. And then normally if you wanted something in between, you were kind of on your own. They did also always have like snack stuff out, but you know, I will never eat another peanut butter fluffer sandwich again, because (laughs) that's like my go-to snack. But usually breakfast was like your typical breakfast, like eggs and pancakes and yogurt and things along those lines. And then dinner just kind of varied on what they have. The dinners were always very good. There were a couple of times where they had food trucks during the day. So you could get like, I definitely enjoyed several burgers or they had like um, rice bowls, but I will say the food was the other challenge for me because, you know, like whenever you're telling someone about preparing for a race, right. You, you say, stick with what you've been practicing and what you've been doing, but now you're in a situation where you have zero control really over the food that you're going to have, and you just have to make do. I also have the challenge that I can't do dairy. So sometimes that is limiting. Mm -hmm. So that was a little, little tricky for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So tell us about the best part. So Julie, I mean, you've got to, I mean, again, the scenery must've been fantastic, but what are some memories that stand out to you while you were out there? 
Oh, hands down, it was our day that we went up Hope's Pass. I mean, it was one of the hardest days, right? Because of that climb is no joke. But to get up to Hope's Pass, it was amazing. And like a moment I'll never forget. Is that on the Leadville 100 course? Is that the one that's on the Leadville 100? Yes, and and they do it twice in Leadville. So just to be able to, because, you know, Leadville is not something I'm drawn to. So this would probably be my one and only time unless I go back to Colorado, but it was incredible. And I even look at the pictures now and I just think this looks fake. Like this Mm -hmm. background looks like a green screen, you know, because it's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Was there any wildlife? Did you run into anything out there? Um, no, I mean, nothing beyond like, you know, squirrels and mm-hmm. little creatures. I think there were maybe a day or two that we saw some deer, but uh, nothing. The bears. Uh, yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would be worried about. The bears and the moose. Well, I don't know. Is there moose in, in the mountains of Colorado? But... Uh, not so much moose, no. but definitely yeah. bears. Um, yeah. 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 But it's mostly like the marmots. Those are the, like, yeah. it's, it's oh, mostly yes. like the little guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Saw yeah. lots of marmots. Yeah. <laughs> They're cute. <laughs> so Julie, it takes a lot of courage to even get to the starting line of an event like Trans Rockies, yet alone finish it. So can you touch on the process of facing the fear of the unknown and pushing your body and your mind to extremes to accomplish this goal? Sure. I think I have a little bit of an advantage that I have like slowly built up to being able to do kind of adventures like this. I've done some other multi-day, like I've done Ragnar before doing the 100 miler definitely gave me confidence knowing what I need to do to train to get there and then to be able to accomplish it. So uh, honestly, like doing the trails and the miles was not to say the easy part, but out of all of it, that was the part that I was really the most prepared for. Mm -hmm. And to prepare for the other things, like the logistics of it all. I mean, I tried to soak up everything I could find on the internet to, you know, prepare myself for what that would look like, as well as reach out to other people who I know who have done the race. Yeah. I was Mm -hmm. about to say, was that helpful? very helpful, you know, although everybody's experience is a little bit different. I mean, two individuals who gave advice were like, oh, you definitely need earplugs because it's so loud at night. And I never needed earplugs. I never had an issue with sleeping, although I don't have an issue with sleeping. So I'm very (laughs) fortunate. (laughs) But yes, of course, getting tips from other individuals who have done it was super helpful. Nice, nice. So describe the feeling of crossing that finish line in the days that followed, was it a lot to process, especially it's almost like you were almost like coming back to the reality, I guess, you know, because you're just out in this world where you're just running, camping, running, camping for, you know, like you get in that rhythm. So what was it like to come back to the real world? And did you have like a celebration dinner with your family or (laughs) anything like that? (laughs) Right. So I will say the last day, so our last day was 22 miles and it probably, yeah, it probably wasn't until the last 10 that I was like, I'm actually going to finish this because I had just been in such a mental place that I just, you know, was like, okay, I just need to get to the next checkpoint and then we'll keep going. Right. And just kept saying that to myself, but it was really the first time that I thought I might not finish this. So to cross that finish line, I am not a crier, but there were some tears shed because Mm -hmm. it just 
like everything that it took, not only for the training, but the mental and like the logistics of everything, it was a lot. So I was really overwhelmed afterwards, but like overwhelmed in a, in a good way. And then I, you know, found a, some food and sat in a chair and didn't move for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have, was your husband or anyone there or were you by yourself? No, nope, not at the finish line. So he was actually doing a Boulder half Ironman at the same time as oh, I was finishing. No. Right. <laughs> Overachievers. So, I know. I know. <laughs> yes. So he, I would just finished. I mean, it was fun to finish and see the other individuals who I've been seeing all week as well. So that was a celebration in and of itself. Okay. So then I'm curious, did he come like pick you up? Like, how did he you did. Get home? <laughs> You're still yeah. sitting in that chair, Julie? <laughs> no. At the finish line? <laughs> so then the next day he drove down to Beaver Creek and he got me and then we drove back together. So that was kind of fun to drive back. And then, you know, the further the celebration, of course, then it's like for a full week, it was eat whatever, drink yeah. whatever, and just kind of enjoy as well as enjoy sleep sleeping in a bed and having mm -hmm. a, a real shower. Yeah. So when I'm curious about other people's reactions to this, like, you know, Dimity and I've heard of it. I mean, it still is a lot to wrap my head around that. But when you just tell your colleagues, your friends in the neighborhood, like, what do they say about this <laughs> accomplishment? Well, I'm sure you can imagine, like, you know, there are some adjectives used on like, well, that's incredible, or that's crazy, or I can't imagine doing that. And I think because I've done so many ultras, I get used to that when they're like, so you're, wait, you're doing what? And why are you doing this? So it's always fun to see people's different reactions, especially those who are not in the running world, right? Mm -hmm. And have never, you know, gotten bit by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Talking to our listeners who might be inspired by you, or maybe they're not going to do trans Rockies, but they want to do something that maybe lights their heart on fire or kind of ignites that fear that you want to overcome and go after this big goal that we've been focusing on for this episode. So what advice do you have for them to just go after it? Yeah. I mean, like go for it. Like it's fun to see what you can do. Right. I mean, I am fascinated by what the human body and the mind can do. And if with the proper training, anyone can certainly do this as long as you like prepare yourself for it. And it's just so rewarding to be like, okay, this is massive. This is a epic adventure and I'm going to take it on and I'm going to give it my all. And then to accomplish it is, is amazing. I love it. I love it. So we're just curious, Julie, what, what do you have on tap for 2023? Are you going to do like back-to-back -back trans Rockies or, you know, maybe home pass a couple, six, seven times? What's going on? You know, it's funny because for, after I did trans Rockies, I was like, all right, it's time to kind of like give my body a rest, which I haven't done in, I would say like a good three years. Cause I've been doing things back to back to back. So yeah. right now I'm forcing myself to not get something on the calendar. So I mean, 2023 is wide open, but I have just been enjoying like recovering and doing other things besides running all the miles. All right. All right. That's fair. But I'm curious, are there, are there any, are there any other things like catch your eye like that? You're like, okay, after I recover, I mean, I'm 
Like, oh, I'm of just, course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. So yeah. I would, you know, I've looked at there's other um, race companies that do this multi-day. There's one by vacation races that I've been looking at theirs. It's a little bit more local. So it's trails that I love, like running in Bryce and Lake Powell and Moab. So, oh, cool. you know, that one's a, that one's a maybe. Okay. So, so we'll see. I would also, I've done rim to rim. I would love to go back and try rim to rim to rim. Um, so, you know, maybe this year that will be on tap as well. So I don't know. It's kind of exciting to have nothing on the calendar and just kind of think of where I'm going to point myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The world's your oyster, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Well, nice job. Congratulations. That's a huge, Thank huge accomplishment. You. And it was fun to watch your journey along the way when you got Wi-Fi. <laughs> like, where is she? <laughs> no idea. No idea. But she's, she's getting there. So <laughs> That's yeah. right. All right. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. Thank you both. We'll be right back after this break. Next up, we have Kimberly Versack, who did another epic adventure on a totally different continent. Our guest is Kimberly Versack, who lives right down the road from me in Potomac, Maryland. Kimberly is an accomplished mother runner of four who works in strategic communications for the World Bank and has done many races, but nothing has been quite as epic as what she completed this past August. When Kimberly posted about her experience at the Comrades Marathon, I knew we had to bring her on to the podcast to share more about it. So for those of you who are not familiar with Comrades, let me fill you in a little bit. First, let's clarify that the name Marathon is actually a misnomer because this race is actually about 90 km, um, which it is km because it's in South Africa, or 56 miles. It's the largest and oldest ultramarathon in the world. Comrades is truly a bucket list race, running from the towns of Peter Maritzburg to Durban, South Africa. It all started in 1921 by a man named Vic Clapham, a World War I veteran who created the run to honor South African soldiers killed during the war. Only 16 people finished that year. In 2022, of the 13,213 runners who started the Comrades Marathon, some 11,709 people finished. Wow. And Kimberly was among those finishers. So let's bring her on to tell us more about the whole experience. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. So Kimberly, before we jump into your comrades experience, tell us a little bit more about your running background. So how long have you been a runner and had you done marathons and ultras before comrades? Sure. I started running when I was 13 and um, I'm 51 now. So I've been running for many, many years. I think I started running, you know, it was the 1980s and we were all doing Jane Fonda workout tapes and I wanted to do a little bit more aerobics and I just kind of started running by myself. And then I ran track in high school. Wasn't very good. I was kind of average. And then I ran my first marathon when I was 26 and that was the Marine Corps um, here in Washington, D.C. And then after that, I went on to run a bunch of other marathons, but I took a big gap because I kept getting injured. So it wasn't until I moved to South Africa in 2003 that I started kind of looking at at long distances again. I like it. I like it. So you lived in South Africa. So is that what drew you to Comrades? And how did you decide that 2022 would be your year of doing it? So give us a little background with you in this race. 
So um, I work for the World Bank and with the World Bank, I was very uh, fortunate to have a lot of overseas postings. So I was based in Jakarta and then later in um, Bangkok, Thailand. That's where I met my husband who was living in South Africa. I decided to join him and I moved to South Africa in 2006 and had my first of four children. I had twin boys uh, in 2006. And then I had um, two more kids after that. And after my fourth child was born, my daughter, I said, you know, I want to go back to running marathons. Uh, South Africa is a huge running community. They they just love their road races. They have them every single weekend. People belong to running clubs, uh, which are a big part of the social network there. So I just fell into kind of marathoning again. But if you run marathons in South Africa, you they almost don't consider you a real runner unless you've done comrades. Wow. So that's when mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to do comrades. Nice. And so then how, like, fast forward, because you live in Maryland now. You're not <laughs> yeah. in South Africa anymore. Yeah, so, yeah. so, like, tell us, like, what? why did you pick 2022? Or, like, give us why the, yeah, why, well, why this it was, was your year? Yeah, you know, I, I, right before, okay, so the last year we lived there, I guess it was 2014, and I ran Two Oceans, which is a kind of a baby ultra marathon. It's 56 kilometers, about 36, 35 miles. I ran that, and I said to my husband, my daughter was only a year and a half, and I said to my husband, all right, I'm only going to do this one, and next year I'll do Comrades. So I, just, I was going to dip my toes into the, to the ultra uh, experience, and he was like, okay, fine. But then... Fast forward kind of five, six months later, and I got a job offer to go back to DC, uh, to go back to the World Bank. I had been kind of consulting, so not really working part, working part time. And so we decided it would be a good move for our family. So we moved back and I signed up for comrades because I thought, well, this will get me back to Africa. You know, I really love living there. I really want to go back, but, uh, it was really hard to move back to the States with four kids and a full-time job. My youngest was two and a half. She had Mm. never had, um, you know, in South Africa, it's very common to have, um, to have help. Right. So we had a full-time housekeeper. We had a full-time nanny. Um, there was someone who came in and looked after the garden. So it was, it was a big transition for the whole family. So I had to put marathon and ultra marathon plans on hold for quite a while. I can relate to that completely, completely. I have a two and a half year old. She's my youngest of four. And I just went back to marathon this year. Ultra marathon would be a totally different beast. So kudos to you for getting back at it. So how old is your youngest daughter now? So she's now 10. And, okay. you know, it's so funny, Sarah, that you say that because when I moved back and, and, um, I, I met Dimity in, in Philadelphia, but I moved back and I, I said, I, you know, I still want to do marathons, but maybe not an ultra. So I signed up for Philly and uh, that's where I got my BQ and I used another mother runner training plan. And I just, you know, had a fantastic time training for that. But I remember I used to set my alarm for 4 a.m. so I could do my long run and be back before she woke up because mm-hmm. I wanted, I was gone all week working. And I didn't want her to think the weekends I was gone to. It was so hard. And then I used to take naps in the playroom and she'd play around, <laughs> she'd play around me, you know, like, so she'd, she'd come and like chat to me. I'm like, uh, and because I just, I wanted to be there. And now, you know, it's fine. She's 10. She's totally fine with me gone for hours on the weekends. So it, it just takes time to get back to it. And I'm, I'm right. glad I yeah, yeah. That, that's and, the old uh, statue game, right? I'm the yes. lie, really still on the floor. <laughs> you can do that too. Oh, yes. I just, I just did that last week, and she, they, <laughs> they tend to poke. Like Mabel, just poke me. Like 
stick her finger in my nose or something. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. But yeah, those fourth kids are pretty resilient too. They like, really are. Yeah. But I still yeah. remember one of my, with one of my twins, he came up and hit me in the nose with one of those plastic hammers. I was like, oh, I've never... But I think with the girls wouldn't do that as much. I don't know, but yeah. she was quite violent with that hammer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about prep, both physically and mentally. So Comrades is notoriously tough. Um, to quote a story from Runner's World, running the Comrades Marathon is a daunting physical challenge. Slap two marathons together, add on another 5K, throw in some of the biggest hills and potentially some hot and humid weather. And there's little doubt that this race is one of the toughest single day running events in the world. So how on earth did you wrap your head around all of that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I decided that I really wanted to do comrades and I decided probably right before COVID hit. So then I waited two years, you know, um, until the, kind of they lifted the restrictions and they started it again because it went on a two-year hiatus. And in those two years, I hired a running coach that my orthopedist uh, had recommended, and she got me to train by heart rate. And really, really dial it back. And so um, that was a huge help for me because I went from kind of doing a lot of speed work and hill work to really just running slow and steady three times a week. And uh, that and those long, monotonous miles, uh, I did a lot of time on the elliptical as well to kind of build up the back-to-back kind of running. But because I'm very injury prone, she was very, very cautious in my buildup. So I really credit with, you know, those very slow heart rate miles and then I strength trained, I'd say five times a week. I just, I really kind of doubled down on the strength. I actually didn't have a lot of mileage compared to other people. And that was the biggest lesson is don't compare yourselves to others. Mm -hmm. She said, you're, you're just fine. You're doing fine. But I was really nervous going into it because I didn't have the kilometers on my legs that I was supposed to have. If you read all the blogs and you read all the websites, I just wasn't there. And I just had to trust that I had enough. And let's put it this way. You need a four hour 50 marathon to qualify. I tried it the first time uh, in Baltimore and she also had me running my marathons by heart rate. And uh, I got a 4.51. So oh I, had to do an- I had to do another <laughs> marathon. And I did that again in the, the spring. And I got a 4.49.49. I kid you not. I squeaked by in nine seconds. And that meant I was in the last batch, which is the H batch, which means the other thing about comrades is they don't care about your U.S. rules, right? It's gun to gun to mat. Mm-hmm. So basically, oh. if you're lined up in H, yeah, so you it could take you 10 minutes to get to the starting line, which means your 10 minutes, you that 10 minutes is off your time. You don't get mm-hmm. to count when you actually start. So that was a big um, mental, you know, mental challenge as well for me um, to figure out how to, how to, you know, make up that time. And fortunately, because this was the first year post COVID, the field was a lot smaller. So I think it took six minutes for my group to actually cross the start line, which meant I, I was, I was in a six minute hole. Okay. Wow. All right. I got to know, did you, um, did you, did you have your Kimberly time as well? Did you start at zero when you crossed the, the starting line or did no, you just take the no. comrades time? I took the comrades time. That's what they say. They say, don't mess with yourself. Take the, start your watch. As soon as the cannon goes off, I started it. 
And so, yeah, and you just have to, and then don't, you don't start, you don't stop your watch when you hit stop for the toilets. You don't <laughs> stop, you never stop your watch because they don't care. You know, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with, it, it's it's just, it's from the time the gun goes off to when you land in or when you arrive in Durban and you get 12 hours to do it. Um, but then there's, I think, six checkpoints. And if you don't make a checkpoint, uh, at certain points, you get pulled off the course. And it was hysterical because I was running with actually a, a friend of a friend uh, who was a, a physical therapist in, in South Africa. And everyone kept asking her, when's the next checkpoint? And I'm like, what makes you look so authoritative? But I think she, she's, she's very tall. And that's the picture I sent in. And she's very tall. And I don't know if there's something about her that people just thought she knew what she was doing. So they kept saying, when's the next checkpoint? And so she was like, it's okay. We've got 45 minutes. And we so we were well ahead of the checkpoint the entire time. But it was very nerve. It was very. It's very nerve wracking. And yes. um, to that description you added, I also had jet lag. You know, so it wasn't just about. And I was nervous. I've never been so nervous before a race before. I slept so badly the week before. I was just. It was. It was really, really tough. That's a lot. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, I just need to back up and just affirm one thing, Kimberly and Sarah. Sure. Um, height and wisdom are definitely <laughs> big correlations. So, you know, I'm, I'm in Mensa, so just in case you wanted to know. Um, I was thinking about you, Tim. I was like, she just looks so like she knows what she's doing. It was funny. <laughs> so far from it. All right. All right. Well, that's very cool. Wait, and I'm just curious, what was the weather like that day? Just because <gasps> we described it as hot and humid. Is that, was yes. that what you had? And, and they were, people were very worried because it's not always held in the second weekend of June. And that's the beginning of the South African winter. Now mm-hmm. in Durban, Maritzburg area, it's kind of coastal. So you're, it's a little bit warmer than Johannesburg, which is where we, I lived, but it's still, you know, I, I'd say it's, it can be about 60 degrees, 50, 60 in the winter. This was the end of winter and they held it at the end of August to kind of give more space for COVID cases to kind of diminish. You know, they okay. wanted to kind of give a little bit more time. So we were worried that the weather would be very um, unfavorable, but I Wonderfully enough, it was hot midday. It was probably about 70 degrees um, in full sunshine, especially as we were climbing towards Enchanga, which is the middle point. But as we approached Durban, the clouds rolled in and it was really nice. It was probably, it was still warm. I mean, it was probably like 65 degrees, maybe 70, but it was, it was okay. And you know, the other thing, shout out to heart rate training. You're co- because you're going so slowly and because you take these walk breaks, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, you don't really feel that hot. It was, I was really, you know, it was a different kind of race for me. I kind of felt just calm the whole time. So it was really, um, I felt good. I felt very good the whole time. And I wasn't really that aware of the weather. Just, just at one point, I think I felt a little bit, this is too sunny for me. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Well, so, um, so you talked about climbing a little bit, but it's also known, Comrades is also known as a down run. And we've talked about the difficulty of downhill running for more than a few miles before on this podcast. It just wears you out both mentally and really physically. So did you prepare for that? And, and how did your legs fare with all that pounding on race day? Yeah, the, the downhills. Well, going into the race. So I'm, I'm very injury prone. And I, as I said, and I think, um, right now I'm kind of struggling with IT band. Um, and so I go to PT once a week and she dry needles me and I do lots of exercises and that's been helping a lot. So within, I'd say, um, 25 Ks into it. So I converted completely over to kilometers. There's, it, it makes no sense to do miles conversion. So I, as soon yeah. as I, I set my watch to kilometers and I just went into kilometers. So I'd say like 
uh, maybe a third into it, my IT band started acting up and that really hurts on the downhills. So I was trying to baby it as much as I could on the downhills by taking very short steps. But um, I felt okay on the downhills because I did so much quad strength training. I really did a lot of eccentric exercises and, and I felt like my, my legs did not feel like jelly. Most people say your legs feel like jelly. They did not. My thighs could take the pounding. My IT band was very unhappy with me. And I'd say afterwards for maybe three days, my IT band was so sore and tight. And I thought, oh, I've really done it this time, but it actually went away. So I mm-hmm. think my, this, I really credit the strength training. And I ran, the woman I ran with was a PT, as I said. And so she was really helpful. She's like, okay, the camber's a little bit better here. So come over to this side. And she'd kind of baby me a little bit. But the funny thing is, is unlike everybody else, I wanted to walk on the downhills and I wanted to run on the uphills because I felt so good on the uphills, but the downhills, I wanted to walk because of the IT band issue. And then something I forgot to say earlier about how did I kind of prepare for it? And this was really crucial because I made this mistake on my first ultra was that, um, it's 90 kilometers. And I think I wound up running 91 because of the weaving or whatever, but it's about 90 kilometers, give or take. And I just divided it up into threes. So I said, there's 30K, 30K and 30K. And that was so much better than two marathons or, mm-hmm. you know, four and a half, 20Ks. It was just in thirds, <laughs> you know? So it's like the first third, you're just kind of settling in, looking for a bathroom that didn't have a long line, basically. So that was the first third. The second third was all the climbing up, climbing up, climbing up, and like the really kind of desolate parts of the course. And then the last third was like the party. That was where it felt the most like boss like people on both sides of the road shouting and screaming and you're going through all these suburbs and as you approach Durban and it was just really fun and and so it it just made a huge difference to me to kind of divide it up that way and I think that really helped mentally as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned nerves before the race. You said you were more nervous than you ever had been. You mentioned the pain of the IT band. Um, but even backing up a little bit, were there any moments of doubt or tough times during training um, when you questioned going after such an audacious goal? No, I mean, I I think... You know, the thing about comrades is it's so inclusive. So there's people of all sizes, shapes, backgrounds, racial, you know, different races. It's like, it's a true melting pot of South Africa. And so living there and you saw all the people that could run it and you saw the pictures of them, you kind of feel like I can be part of that. You know, it, it was, it's a very inclusive race and a very supportive race. And it's, it's such a nationally supported race. You know, you, the whole week beforehand, if you tell people I'm going to run comrades, people are like, go, you go. And they're so excited for you. It really brings the whole country together. So I kind of felt that I was supported. You know, I, I mm-hmm. felt like this is not a stupid idea. This is not, this is not some crazy, you know, running in Antarctica. Why are you doing that? Like, it felt like people really believed in me and supported me. So I think that helped a lot. I'd say the hardest part of the training, to be honest, was those elliptical steps. You know, so I do the three hour long run on a Saturday. And then on the, on the Sunday, I was supposed to do a back to back long run, but because of my injury issues, my coach had me doing two and a half, three hours, sometimes three 30 
on the elliptical. The ellipticals, yeah, yeah. The ellipticals in my basement. So I would come up and I'd be just coated in sweat. And the whole morning was gone. You know, my kids are watching TV, eating breakfast. And I've been like on the elliptical, just eating food and, and, and just watching TV and scrolling the internet and just doing anything to try to get off the monotony. I think that was the hardest. I would just be like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. But everything else, I felt like I loved the strength training. I was cool with the long runs. You know, I listened to a lot of audio books. I live near, um, Sarah, mm-hmm. you'll know this. I live right near the CNO canal. Mm-hmm. So that used to be my so boring, but I would just put in my audio book and I'd run, you know, an hour and a half out one way, turn around and run an hour and a half out back the other way. And the time would just like go peacefully, like in heart rate 140, you know, just, just chill. So mm-hmm. I really might be the end of my day. I may have to bail early, but I, I, I managed. And, you know, the woman I was running with, she's like, you know, you just run until you can run and then you walk until you can walk. And if you don't make a cut off, then you go, you go, but you do it. You give everything you can. And I think I always had that mentality. I can always bail if I have to, but you know, I didn't come this far to give up now. So I just kept going. So Kimberly, first of all, major congratulations. Give us like one word feeling that you had at the finish line. Like what's one word that describes it? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And when you just done that high for like days after yes yes and i there was you know you you, it finishes at the king's meets i think it's the king it finishes at the major stadium the moses madiba stadium in um in durban this like a huge stadium and there's people like people are in the stadium seats cheering for you like can you imagine a race that there's a stadium it's like a soccer stadium and there's people just cheering for you and there's bright lights and the announcers it's televised it's on tv all day so i had friends like taking pictures of me coming in like on their tv and sending it to me uh it's just incredible it's just you cannot believe that you did it. You cannot believe it's your one day of just feeling so extraordinary, so special. You feel like a, you feel like a rock star. It's just the most incredible feeling ever. And I don't, I don't think any other ultra can give you that kind of finish line feels. It really gives you just an amazing, amazing feeling. Yeah. Well, cause a lot of the ultras you finish, you know, like 3am or 530, or like, you know, like the sun's not even up, you know? So it's like, you, you, yes, you still probably have that feeling, but you do. I mean that, you know, when you're describing it, it sounds a lot like the New York city marathon, as far as being super inclusive and everybody in the city, you know, in the area is behind it. You know, I mean, it's, that's, that's super cool. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if, if there are people who are thinking about comrades or their own version of comrades, I mean, yes, that is a very difficult race. But, you know, as I wrote way back in the day when I wrote about Ironman, like Epic is kind of in relation to where you are right now in your life. You know, it's definitely a stretch goal, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like what people would think of a stretch goal, you know? Mm-hmm. So if there are listeners who are toying with the idea of going after a big, scary, epic goal this year, but for whatever reason are hesitant to, you know, the money down, click register. What advice would you give them, Kimberly? Oh, really? Nike, just do it. I mean, (laughs) you're just, you know, I didn't want to live with that regret, right? I just, I, I, it's, you know, you have a goal and it's something that you just want to go for. 
This year, I also, you know, I started studying for my master's, which is something I've always wanted to do. And I kind of always put it off for various reasons. And so I just didn't want to live with that, those big regrets. And so, you know, it, and the thing about comrades is in my race report and what I've told people is actually the training is doable. And that's the crazy thing. You know, yeah, you have, it's not that much more than a marathon. It's a lot of mental. It's really mental. And so, you know, I, I don't think I ran enormous amounts. I mean, I probably ran at the most, maybe 35 miles that week. Like it wasn't insane amount of mileage. It was just a lot of strength, a lot of walking, a lot of, you know, and then just like the long runs of the back to back with the, the horrible elliptical. But I think, you know, you just set a goal. And the other thing that I did, which I haven't done in other goals is I told people about it. I think mm -hmm. I wanted more people to know about it. I, I And I didn't do that. I, I tend to be keep those kinds of things to myself, um, but I, I wound up telling people about it. And I think that helps a lot because people kind of check in and ask how you're doing. And, and then, yeah, you just have to kind of figure out what does it take to get that goal and then just break it off into easy digestible chunks. And, and one little thing I knew I had to do is I had to go to bed before my kids. I'm like, I have to, <laughs> I just, I, I just have to do that. Like it's just, and I went to bed and you know, that was my, that was my one little goal that I could accomplish that was, should be easy enough to do, but it took me a while to force myself to do it. Cause I know I needed the sleep and I just wasn't getting enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My neighbor has a, a bumper sticker on his car that says four out of five voices in my head say you should just go for it. And I was like, <laughs> I love that. I just do it, right? It's a little bit longer, yeah. but I just love that four out of five, like four out of five dentists, but four out of five voices in my head say you should go for it. So that's yeah. great. I love that. One there. Yeah. That's love great. That. So Kimberly, we have to ask what's next? Like, how do you top your 2022? Oh gosh, you know, well, okay. So comrades is a thing where they have an up run and then they have a down run. So I ran the down, which uh, starts in, in Peter Maritzburg and finishes at Durban. And then the following year is the up. Now this year they've gone back to June and it's going to be another down run because there's construction and there's reasons for, it and there's a centennial and they want to have celebrations in Durban. But I think 2023, Four mm -hmm. will be an up run, which will be from Durban to Maritzburg. So I'd like to do that because that's kind of your back to back, even though there's a year in between. So that's kind of a goal. But actually, my next big goal is going to be I want to do Disney. I want to do a fun, fun race. And I think Disney Marathon in uh January of 2024 will be my next one. And this year I'm going to do some marathons, but just for fun, I think mm -hmm. just to, just to, cause I love marathoning. It's, it's just, you know, I felt like I, I put it on hold for 16 years while I was afraid of getting injured and having kids. And then I, now that I've rediscovered it, I kind of want to do it as long as I can. And it's yeah. funny because before comrades, I told everybody I'm going to retire from, from marathons after comrades. I'm just, this is it, you know, mm -hmm. this is, I'm going to go out go out with this big race, but it kind of really made me rediscover my love for it again. And, and I, I'd like to keep doing it for as long as I can. Great. Well, good luck with that. And thank, thank you, you for sharing with us. It's so inspiring. Thank Agreed. you. I could talk about comrades all day. So thanks for giving me the time. I really, really just can't recommend it enough. If anyone wants to go and, and do it, hit me up. I'm happy to, I'm happy to give advice. I loved it every, every minute of it. Sweet. So 2023 is finally here. 
And if you are thinking about consistency in your workouts or wanting to polish up your nutrition, we've got two programs that you need to check out and sign up for today because registration ends or closes, I should say, on January 15th. Many Happy Miles, as you probably know, will give you 365 days of fresh workouts, strength circuits, camaraderie, accountability, all the things that will help you keep that exercise wheel spinning. And Many Nutritious Miles, it's sister program will delve into a different nutrition focus every month. And so it's just a good chance to do a little polishing up of the old plate. Check them both out at anothermotherrunner.com. They're both on the training menu drop down.